0: My name is Dr. Jennifer Ruckstad, and I am the Executive Director of the Missouri State High School Activities Association. It is the spring. It's not actually the season of spring yet, but we are getting ready to move into spring. We've entered the month of February, and by the time you hear this, we will be just a few weeks away from our spring sports starting practice up at the end of this month. Spring activity championships are just around the corner and we are in our governance part of the year. We are always in a governance part, but our second semester, the second half of the school year, is the time for our membership, and many of the decisions our board of directors will make will happen in the second part of the year. So this is an episode where we're talking about some of the issues in front of the membership after our traveling of the state to area meetings. We go to area meetings in January. We go to all eight board districts, and we have large gatherings, mostly of athletic directors, but we will also have principals, superintendents, and occasionally extra coaches. This time, we had students from our student advisory committee that has been started back again this year. Those students from those board areas joined us at area meetings, and we presented on a number of topics that are either decision points for the membership this spring, for the board of directors this spring, or They will be decision points at some point, and our board has asked us to gain feedback. So we go out to the meetings, we present on the topics, and for most of the topics, we're also going to provide an opportunity for discussion in the room, which we get some to a lot, depending on the topic and the area of the state, and we will also survey the room on their feelings about any given issue. So I'm just going to kind of briefly go through those issues right now so that you the listener knows what's being talked about at the state level in January-February of 2024. We have a provision in our bylaws that allows for a pathway for a sport or activity to join the fully interscholastic menu of sports and activities that we offer in our state association that we govern and provide a championship or a statewide evaluative event to happen. We have a set of emerging sports and activities, a number of activities that are recognized by our association. Schools may register for those, but they don't have to register in order to participate in them. We do not really govern them. We provide some services, but we certainly would not provide championships or you know any other services really beyond rule books. Last year, Boys volleyball moved from the emerging status into a category allowed by the bylaws called provisionally interscholastic. And that means that the activity gained 50 or more schools registered for the sport in three or more board districts. So that happened in the 2022-2023 school year, and that meant that it was a ballot item, and it passed. So boys volleyball is a new fully interscholastic sport in Misha. This year, the activity of esports has moved into provisionally interscholastic, so a ballot item will go out in our April ballot to our membership on esports, and we presented about esports to our area meeting areas, and we have a committee of esports coaches meeting in our office and online They've met a couple of times. They have at least one or two more meetings to work with our staff about what could eSports look like in the state of Missouri as a fully interscholastic activity. There are a number of states that do sanction eSports as fully interscholastic. We've used a number of those as models to talk from, and we are working toward trying to design a model that can work and also help this group of very passionate educators understand Where they land on this. There are a number of sports and activities that are happening in the schools in the state of Missouri that are not governed by MISHA, and that is okay as well. And so, this decision of our membership to determine whether esports will come under our umbrella is kind of a big one for what has become a really growing and, in some parts of our state and some of our schools, a really positive addition to school communities you may not know anything about this it is competitive gaming you may know a lot about it but esports is actually kind of a, a whole other category of sports for us to refer to esports as one activity is is really not accurate because each game is essentially its own category so right now it would appear that if it were to come into the association as fully interscholastic we would likely host one championship, one game, one title. Some of those titles you may have heard of, Smash Brothers, Rocket League, Valorant, those are titles that are out there. I'm not suggesting that any of those are the titles that would be chosen, but Misha would govern one title with one championship, and as the sport grows in our association, we would then add titles and championships. So we're interested in the memberships, the registered memberships, opinion on this, schools registered in eSports at this time, and up to the opening of the ballot on April 1st. We'll get an opportunity to weigh in, and the rest, we'll see what happens. We know there are many more schools in our state who have some eSports presence in their schools than are registered with us, and we are moving forward, trying to be respectful of the work of the Missouri Esports Federation, which is a nonprofit entity that has really worked to govern esports to this point. We have worked very closely with them as we have tried to figure out what is the future of esports in Missouri. So that will be a ballot item for our membership to consider. Our next topic at area meetings was rather extensive. We're not going to be nearly as extensive on the podcast for this, but it was an opportunity to talk with our schools about a change in the hosting sites for our sectional and quarterfinal basketball championships. Historically, we have hosted all classes, sectional and quarterfinal basketball, at neutral sites. And some of those sites were member schools, but they were not the school of either of the qualifiers. So oftentimes we would use larger member schools for smaller member schools, sectional especially, and maybe even quarterfinal. Our membership they've decided last year, the board of directors supported this idea after quite a bit of feedback that, yeah, we're going to do this. We're going to do basketball now like we do for every other sport and that one of the qualifying schools will be the host site for a sectional and quarterfinal basketball. While everyone was supportive of the idea, we historically believe that we have large crowds at sectional and quarterfinal, and that's part of the reason we were at, at neutral sites. Oftentimes those sites would be a college or university arena, or as I said, one of our you know some of our larger schools. So we spent a pretty good deal of time collecting data from the last five years about ticket sales and trying to help our schools understand that you know what your school can hold. and it is up to you, the qualifying site. And in an even year like 2024, at sectional, we're going to look at the bottom half of the bracket. That qualifier out of their district championship will be the host site or at least the host school. And when I say that, we will have some schools who determine that they do not have enough seating capacity to effectively host the game. We wanted schools to start thinking now about alternatives because we want that school, the qualifying school, in the right spot to have the opportunity to be the host site. And they get to decide where that game is. If they cannot find an alternative, then it would go to the other qualifying school. So We had a lot of data we talked about. We talked about our process for that. We're not going to get into the details, but this is an important topic for our membership, and it was something we spent a good deal of time with them at area meetings. Another topic we talked about was our student advisory committee. I mentioned at the top of the show we had students involved in that program at our area meetings, but we have 10 junior students, 10 senior students who are nominated by our schools and appointed by our board of directors. Each board member appoints two students, a junior and a senior, and it's that time of year for students to nominate their current sophomores to join the student advisory. Our current juniors will move on to be seniors of that group and we'll get a new crop of rising juniors. And so we asked our schools to consider who might be good candidates for that program. We also talked a little bit about our championship factor Right now in our classification system, we have a classification system that in almost all of our sports it relies on ensuring that outside of class one, the enrollment from the bottom of a classification to the top of a classification does not exceed 2.0, that that differential doesn't exceed 2.0 or in layman's term school shouldn't have to play a school that's more than twice its size in the state championship series. However, as there has been for many, many years, there is a factor that addresses what we call MSIP-exempt schools for private, parochial, and charter schools who have a little bit different way of managing their enrollment than public schools do. So if you are MSIP-exempt school, then your postseason success informs a point system, and that point system could involve your school In any given sport to be moved up a class or maybe even two based on your championship success. That system has been in place since 2020 when our new classification system came in, and there are a number of opinions out there about how to improve that system or change that system to meet the needs of a very diverse membership. We've had an ad hoc committee of athletic directors meeting together for the last several months about this issue. They have not come to consensus on the issue about what we might do to modify the system, and they asked that we take the topic to area meetings and ultimately our annual questionnaire, which our schools will be able to complete during the month of February from February 12th to February 23rd. And we're going to ask a number of questions on the questionnaire about what our schools think about possible changes to the championship factor. So we presented on those possible changes and gave schools an opportunity to begin that discussion. Finally, in our kind of information section in our area meeting, we reminded schools that our Class 3 Track and Field Championship will move in 2024 to the first weekend from the second weekend. We generally, before, we always have two weekends of Track and Field Championships. It used to be Classes 1 and 2 in the first weekend, Classes 3, 4, and 5 in the second. This year, we're moving Class 3 to the first weekend, and we wanted to remind our schools yet again about that change. In our, what we call our discussion session, where these topics we asked our schools and our school employees in attendance to share their ideas or questions about any of these topics, and we then asked them kind of some some straw poll information. So I'm going to go through those topics. One is name, image, and likeness. You may have heard a previous episode in this podcast where I talked with executive directors of a few other states and the CEO of the NFHS about the issue of name, image, and likeness. And ultimately, I don't want to get too deep into the weeds here, but our state is going to address the question. And we asked schools whether they wanted to address the question in every meetings. And we got feedback that, yes, let's talk about this and let's have a vote on this to amend our bylaws to essentially define the activities that a student is prohibited from getting cash benefits and other like benefits from to their status or their identity as an athlete in a given sport at their school. Right now, that status or identity for an athlete in a given sport is tied to that identity for the sport regardless of their participation in school. And so our schools are being asked to, you know, to help regulate that student's ability to benefit from their name, image and likeness. What we are asking schools on our annual ballot is, would you like to limit that to a student's identity at your school? And also limit a student's ability to sell what they don't own. They do own their name, image, and likeness, but they don't own the intellectual property of the school. And so that was our discussion. We're going to ask our membership if they're willing to amend our bylaws to make that one distinction. In that bylaw amendment, we will also put language in about collectives. Collectives are kind of ruling the day at the collegiate level right now where an entity, they collect money, collectives, in most colleges, and at least in the the large Power Four conferences, most colleges have one collective that is adjacent to that college or university. And that collective is paying student athletes for the use of their name, image, and likeness to promote really anything they want. So it's kind of an on-demand situation. And for high school, it would be really problematic when it comes to undue influence. For the college and university scene, recruiting of athletes is a big name of the game. That's how it works at college and universities. And there are rules around recruiting, but the assumption is, of course, you're going to be recruiting your athletes. Well, in high school athletics, that's seen by our membership as not conducive to a fair and equitable competitive landscape. And so we've had rules against undue influence for many years, and we believe that if collectives were allowed to come into the state, we would have real problems with undue influence. So that language that the membership will get to vote on regarding NIL will further define a student's ability to sell their name, image, and likeness or benefit from their name, image, and likeness. They can do that apart from their identity with their school and also language to ban collectives. Our Baseball Advisory Committee, as well as our Athletic Director Advisory Committee, have come to the board a few times with ideas about placing a series, at least in part of our Baseball State Series. Right now, baseball in the state of Missouri is a single elimination tournament until you get to the Final Four, in which case the losers at the semifinal would still play in a third-place game. However, our Baseball Advisory has asked... Would it be okay for Class 5 and 6, who those two classes are smaller than Classes 1 through 4, they have fewer registered schools in those two classes, and because of the fewer registered schools, they have one fewer game between District Championship and the State Semifinal. They have only a quarterfinal where Classes 1 through 4 have a sectional. The amount of time between the District Championship and the State Semifinal for all classes, is the same. The number of days is the same. But in classes one through four, they'll have two games in that span of, of days. And for class five and six, classes five and six, they'll have one game. What that allows for, for in classes five and six, based on pitch count restrictions, and, and we're not going to get into the details of pitch count restrictions, but our state and the National Federation for the Safety of Baseball Pitchers has restrictions on the number of days, the number of consecutive days, the number of rest days, based on when you pitch and how many pitches you pitch. So for classes five and six in baseball, a team could win a district championship, win a quarterfinal game, and then also win a semifinal game or play in a semifinal game with one pitcher because there's enough days between those games that there would be no pitch count restrictions. And the Baseball Advisory Committee feels strongly that classes five and six have teams with the most resources, the most pitching resources. They've had to utilize those resources throughout the regular season. And now in the most important part of their season, they're not accessing a number of pitchers they can. They may not choose to do that, but if they have a single dominant pitcher, they could really use that pitcher at every level. And the idea is that we're not really evaluating which teams are better, which is a well-rounded team. We're really evaluating who's got the best pitcher. That's the question before the board of directors and the board has asked the membership what they think about this. The proposal is, is that for classes five and six, there would be a best two out of three series at the quarterfinal level, which would allow for at least one more game. It could be two. They'd play it on a Friday, Saturday. Game one would be on Friday. Saturday would be game two and game three if needed. So that would force the use of at least one more pitcher in that situation. And if they're playing just one more, it gives a more equal situation in comparison to classes one through four. After the district championship, everybody has a guarantee of two games that have to be won prior to the state semifinal as opposed to class five and six just having one at this time. The issue and why it's kind of a big deal for our association is we do not have in any sports any sort of different format, tournament format for different classifications. And Historically, our association has been, at least when it comes to tournament formats, kind of a one size fits all. And from class one to class six, we're going to run the same format. We may have an extra game in there, but it's still a single elimination tournament. This proposal asks the membership: How would you feel about putting a series in for just two of our six classes in baseball? And then we went ahead and asked if a similar proposal comes up in other sports, help the board know what our schools. thinking when it comes to this question of a change in format for a given class or classes. So we ask the membership to weigh in on those questions. These are not bylaw questions. These would be questions for the board to consider. So this is kind of an area where it's potentially stepping away from pretty long-held values in our association and we'll see where this goes. We'll see what the board does with the feedback received from area meetings. District Seating Point System In football, we have a point system that determines our district seeding. In most cases in football, we have 18 districts, sometimes we have fewer, but we seed those using a point system based on the win-loss record and the point differentials and the strength of schedule and so on during the regular season. That system is fairly manageable because... We have, you know, just a limited number of schools, a nine-game season, and that season happens one game a week. The question before the membership is, do you want to seek out point systems to seed all of our team sport district tournaments? And it wouldn't necessarily be exactly like football, but we would start with our football system and then change things about that system that would match that particular team sport. Soccer, basketball, softball, baseball, and so on. Volleyball. We gave the example, there's one component for sure, likely would need to be multiple components per sport that would have to change. But one component that we would certainly not bring from football into any of the other team sport point systems, if the membership agreed this was a good idea to pursue, is the fact that we track out-of-state opponents for our teams throughout the season in order for their point system, their point total, to include those out-of-state opponents. That is done manually by our office, and there are a number of of out-of-state opponents in the sport of football, but it's certainly not a majority of our schools, but it's a little bit of work to manage the out-of-state football system. Trying to manage all the out-of-state opponents in all team sports to inform the district seating point system would not be manageable. Right now, our website is a closed system. Our members enter their scores, and those scores would populate our seating system. But when we deal with out-of-state, we would have to manually go find those scores throughout the season. You would have to do that even after that contest has happened, and that would not be manageable. So that's a A component that if we were to go to a point system for our seating, that would not come over with football. So we asked those in attendance how they felt about that. We're also going to ask about that on the annual questionnaire. District hosting right now in all sports but team tennis and football, there is a component to the district tournament that requires the establishment of a district host site. And sometimes that host site is the site for all the contests for that tournament. We would call that the traditional model, like but the basketball model where a certain school is the host school and all the games in the tournament are played at that school over the course of a week. We have allowed, since COVID really, and the necessity to change some things during COVID, we've allowed for sport to sport for district tournaments to be hosted in different ways. Sometimes we might allow for a certain round to be hosted by the higher seed. Sometimes we've allowed for all rounds to be hosted by the higher seed, which is what happens in football and team tennis. But the question before the membership this spring, again, this is a question really for the board to decide. They wanted to hear what the membership's thoughts were on this is do we want all sports to have access to all of the options for their district tournaments? Because right now, it's a little bit of a hodgepodge, team sport to team sport. In what ways are you allowed to set up your tournament and host the tournament? And the question is, do we just say, everybody has all the possible ways? And so that's a question we were anxious to hear what the membership thought. And again, we'll be asking about that on the annual questionnaire. We had three different topics for speech, debate, and theater The first is, right now, speech, debate, and theater are considered one activity, and while speech and debate is somewhat separate than theater, those championships are scheduled the same weekend, they are seen as part of the same activity, and our districting and classification is all together. In the activity of theater, the tie to speech and debate sometimes causes inequities in the concentration of schools who are participating in the theater competitions. And so we will, like right now, we have a theater district that has 12 entries in both of our theater events. And yet we have other theater districts that have like three and four. So in a sport or other kind of activity, we would know what those registrations were ahead of time, and we would parade or distribute those entries throughout the state. We also have issues with conflicts between students who are involved in theater and also those who are involved with speech and debate. And the time of year in our speech, debate, and theater championships is also the time of year that many, many schools are having spring productions. And so finding, first of all, making space to participate in either one act or reader's theater through our theater championships in your school year can be a challenge. And also finding theater venues to host these competitions in southwest Missouri, where we host speech debate and theater championships in Springfield, has become more and more challenging. So as we try to maybe give a shot in the arm to theater, our speech debate and theater advisory has suggested maybe we need to split the two and make theater its own activity. And so that's the question. Should we split a speech and debate from theater? The second topic we talked about is Using the classification process we use for all other sports and activities with speech, debate, and theater, currently everything is under one class, and our participation is such that, especially in speech and debate, we could probably have more than one class. And then the third topic is, right now, a student may participate, in a school may participate, but specifically a student may participate in a speech and debate district tournament without having participated in any other event during the regular season. And our speech, debate, and theater advisory would like to require, much like we do in many of our other, well, all of our other sports and a few other activities, that an event must be participated in in order to be eligible to access districts. So those are the questions before our membership in terms of speech, debate, and theater. Non-school participation during the school season, Bylaw 313 a it occasionally gets a lot of press when there is kind of a high-profile violation of this bylaw. We had that this fall, and because of that, we wanted to bring the bylaw before the membership again and ask them, what are your thoughts? Do we need to adjust our stance? Our stance is in team sports. We do not allow organized competition in the sport in which you're playing during the school season. And that's from sixth grade through 12th grade. So we asked our schools for team sports. Right now, individual sports have an allowance. Most individual sports could be involved in two events per season. Swimming and diving has unlimited access, so we asked our schools, how do they feel about this? And we presented the possibility of no change, leave the rule as it is. Would they be interested in allowing non-school competition just during the period between the first allowable practice and a school's first contest? Would they be interested in making the rule just like individual, that a student-athlete, not the team, but a individual on the team, could participate in two non-school events during the season or expand our exception category to include charity events. I will tell you I haven't really talked much about what the feedback was in most other topics, but because the feedback shaped the questions we're going to ask on the questionnaire and will ask on the questionnaire, our feedback was the highest percentage of responses said do not change the rule. The second highest percentage was we should allow non-school participation from the first allowable practice to the school's first contest. And then the other two options really did not get a very large percentage of that feedback. So we really have narrowed this question on the questionnaire. What do you think about, do we leave the rule as it is, or do we consider allowing non-school participation during the practice period before games start? This would be more consistent with our fall sport exception. Right now we have a fall sport exception to Labor Day, which allows participation in non-school competition up through Labor Day. And we would consider this change making things a little more consistent with that. So we are going to ask on the questionnaire, and this perhaps will go to the ballot. This would be a change of a long-standing bylaw, which happens. And if our membership is ready for a rule to change, then that's what we'll do. And we're excited to hear the feedback of the membership in this question. Football jamborees. Jamborees started in our state with the sport of football and at that time when they started, football was pretty exclusively happening on Friday nights with a handful of Saturdays. What has happened mainly due to limited numbers of football officiating crews around our state is in certain areas of our state, football is a Thursday, Friday, Saturday thing. Because in, in St. Louis, for instance, there are not enough officiating crews to host all the football games on a given Friday night. So they will host Thursday Friday and Saturday throughout the St. Louis area to allow for those crews to work multiple days in order to get those games in. So because of that, the thinking has really changed about football. Friday night is football. It is still majority football, but we also play football on Thursdays and we play football on Saturdays. And right now we have a bylaw that allows for any team sport to host a jamboree after the students have had nine conditioning practices. And for most sports, if you practice at least one weekend day in the first week, that would allow a jamboree to happen on the second Thursday after the first allowable practice. That rule is not accessible for football because we have a board policy that says football cannot host a jamboree until that Friday. So the question is, why is that the case? Again, I think it's tied to just kind of this shifting idea of when high school football is played in our state. So we've asked the membership, are you okay to allow for football jamborees to be hosted on Thursday night? Related to that topic is another topic, and that's our first allowable contest moving to Thursday, especially in the fall. This started in football for the exact reason I just mentioned, this need in many areas of our state to include Thursday and Saturday as possible days in order to get football games scheduled to allow for all those games to have officiating crews. So right now, our first allowable contest in all of our seasons is on a Friday. And for football, the rest of the season, they're going to be accessing Thursday, Friday, and Saturday every week. But in week one, they only have access to Friday. So the question is, why would we only give access to Friday in week one, especially for football? And we've heard from other sports, it would be much more helpful, especially schools where they want to play on the first allowable day. They want to host it. They're also hosting a football game. Now we have facility conflicts and and conflicts with our spectators and those kinds of things. It would be really nice to be able to host our first softball game, for instance, on Thursday, so that our first football game on Friday can be well attended and, and vice versa. So the question before the membership is, are you okay if we move that first allowable contest to Thursday? And if that's the case in fall sports, are you also okay to do it for the winter and the spring? So those are questions we're asked during area meetings and, and will be asked on the questionnaire. And then the final topic we discussed, the state of Kansas has a new law that allows for a Kansas resident, who attends a non-public school may have eligibility for sports and activities at that school and also their local school of residence. This is not something that is very prevalent in our country, but it was done by the Kansas State Legislature. The Kansas High School Association has had to respond and change some of their bylaws based on this new law. And we have Kansas residents who are attending Missouri, what we would call MSIP-exempt schools or non-public schools, who would like to take advantage of this law. And for our membership's purposes, we believe that would be inequitable that students in a Misha member school having access to a law that other students wouldn't have access to because they're not Kansas residents would be inequitable among our membership. And so we have asked our members to consider updating our bylaws to be very specific that a student's status as a bona fide student at their school that designates the only school they can participate with In interscholastic activities and sports, and that there would be a penalty for choosing to do otherwise, if you're, you know, as these students would have this, if your state allows. So that's a question. Again, we asked at area meetings, but we also are asking on the questionnaire, and likely will be a ballot item. So that's the a number of questions we asked. Our questionnaire, as I said, will be released to our schools February twelfth. They will have access, the principal or superintendent, every one of our schools will have access to provide feedback on our questionnaire. Our questionnaire makes no decisions. It's, again, a feedback tool, a collection tool for our office and the board of directors that then will direct us toward the writing of our annual ballot, which is a decision-making tool, and any decisions that our board of directors will have to make. So, appreciate you sitting through this. Things may be dry, or maybe you think this is really exciting, kind of like me, but I wanted to update our listeners on the topics that our membership is considering. This is Dr. Jennifer Ruxton, the Executive Director of the Missouri State High School Activities Association. This is Dr. Jennifer Ruxstad, the Executive Director of the Missouri State High School Activities Association. Thank you for listening to the Misha All Access Podcast and having an interest in Missouri high school activities and athletics. If you enjoyed today's episode of the Misha All Access podcast or any of the episodes in this podcast, please consider subscribing or liking with your favorite podcast provider. It helps other people find us. and We really appreciate you listening and supporting the Missouri State High School Activities Association.